do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe in my words? That's the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, and broadcasting out of the great state of Texas. Texas. Welcome to another edition of Bridge Radio. I am your host, Julio Rodriguez, and with me is the president of Bridge Ministries, Steve Den Hartog. What's up, everybody? And the AW is out on vacation and packing up for his move to our community of Laredo. And we are excited to finally have him here. He's moving to the promised land. He is. He is. So I just want to tell our audience to please keep him in prayer as him and his wife make this transition. But nevertheless, we have a stacked program for you today. Um, The Gospel of John, the verse just read above, Um, records a dispute between the Jewish leadership and Jesus about his identity as the Messiah. Um, And Jesus responds by challenging the Jewish leadership's allegiance to Moses and the Torah, telling them if they really believed in Moses' writings, then they would believe in him. Jesus claimed many times that the Hebrew scriptures foretold of his coming. In our last edition, episode 101, uh, we talked about Luke uh, chapter 24, uh, verse 44, where Jesus is walking with his com- uh, his companions uh, down the road of uh, the the Emmaus Road. Uh, he said, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled." And so, on today's program, we will be talking about the Messiah of the Old Testament with a Messianic Jew. It's gonna be good. It is. Uh, you know, what does the term Messiah mean? We're gonna be kind of defining that term also talking about other names that are uh, tied with the Messiah, and uh, also kind of starting the conversation on, uh, is there a clear messianic message of the Hebrew Bible pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ? So stay tuned. Yeah, I'm excited about this. This is going to be good. Coming from somebody who has a Jewish background. Yes, I think that perspective is extremely important. So um, he's going to be sharing his testimony as well, because that's just going to provide uh, some excellent, excellent content. And uh, But before we uh, uh, jump into the interview, guys, I just want to point everybody to uh, uh, subscribe uh, to the podcast. Uh, we're on all podcast platforms. As I always say, share with your mom, your daddy, brother, sister, your friends, cats and dogs, and uh, please get to know our ministry. And uh, please prayerfully consider supporting us on a monthly or one-time donation, as this really helps us continue what we do here as a ministry. Are you ready, Steve? Let's do this. I'm excited. Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. His doctorate is from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where his dissertation focused on the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible. He is the author of numerous articles and several books and the host and Bible teacher of Moody Radio's Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. He is one of the general editors of the book we will be discussing today titled The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, Studies and Expositions of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Thank you, Dr. Rydelnik, for joining Bridge Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I've been uh, skimming through the book 
great resource, great volume. I uh, highly recommend people to go get themselves a copy of this. I think it's an excellent resource. Uh, but before we dive into our conversation today, I really wanted you to share your testimony about how you came to Saving Faith. I believe that's really going to provide a lot of context and credibility to the subject of discussion today. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I think that's why I'm so passionate about this subject. It's because I was convinced to believe in Jesus because of messianic prophecy. Mm. Uh, when uh, if the day I became a follower of Jesus, if anyone had asked, uh, will you ever believe in Jesus? I'd have said no. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's not how I was raised. Huh. Uh, my parents were both Holocaust survivors. Wow. wow. And uh, they married after the war. My dad had lost his first family. My mom had not married before she was much younger. Mm. Uh, they had their first couple of kids in Europe, and then they came here. I was born in the United States. One of my sisters was as well. Uh, and we were raised in an observant Jewish home mm-hmm. and never dreamed about believing in Jesus. And then uh, when I was in high school, freshman in high school, my mom went public that she had secretly been a follower of Jesus all those years. Wow. wow. Uh, and... Uh, my dad was furious that she told anyone, and he mm. said if she didn't recant, he would divorce her. Huh. And uh-huh. uh, and so she wouldn't recant, and he did divorce her. Wow. And then I was angry with my mom, not just for believing in Jesus, but for breaking up our family. Yeah. Uh, I, I always we had huge arguments about Jesus, mm. and one of the things that happened is I, I happened to meet the woman that was teaching my mom the Bible at this Messianic congregation who challenged me about uh, how do I know that my mom uh, wasn't right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if I could convince this woman that this is stupid, stupidness and stupidity and, you know, that then there might be hope that my mom would abandon this. Maybe even my parents would get back together. Right. And uh, so I began to meet with Hilda Kozer. That was her name. And mm-hmm. uh, we would talk about Messianic prophecy. And she and I would argue kind of nose to nose, yelling at each other with a Bible in front of us. <laughs> uh, I, I did find that she, I thought her explanation sometimes made a lot more sense than mine did. Mm-hmm. And uh, she challenged me to pray and ask God to show me if Jesus was really the Messiah. And I said, he doesn't have to. He isn't. And so he won't. She said, well, then what are you afraid to pray? And so uh, I sort of had this spontaneous prayer that night. God, I know Jesus isn't the Messiah. So I know you won't ever show me that he is because he isn't. Hmm. But if he is, would you show me even though I know you won't because (laughs) he isn't? Hmm. It was one of those real great (laughs) prayers of faith, you know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I really found that I was challenged about how do I know atonement? Yeah. Uh, how do I know my sins are forgiven? Because there's no longer a sacrificial system. And I was pointed to Isaiah 53, mm. uh, uh, one of the great messianic passages that speak of the Messiah's atonement. Yeah. And uh, so ultimately I went to see, uh, I didn't ever want to go to services with my mom, but they were having a film about Israel. And I thought, well, if it's about Israel, it can't be about Jesus. And so I went to see this film, and the first half was about biblical prophecies, about restoration of Israel. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. And then the second half was about how the same prophets had foretold the coming of the Messiah. Mm. And uh, now the only reason I went to that 
meeting, I thought, I'm going to go once, tell my mom, this is like Brussels sprouts. I tried them. I don't want them again. I'm never coming again. I thought this is my excuse to get my mom to stop badgering me. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I want to be a really good Jew, and these prophets had foretold Jesus as the Messiah, the only way I could be a good Jew, the only way I could really be, even if I was the only one that ever believed in him, to be a good Jew, I would have to believe in the Jewish Messiah. Right. And, uh, mm. At the end, the guy gave an invitation. If anyone wants to believe in Jesus, raise your hand. And I was just, everyone's bowed their heads. And I'm thinking, I'm never raising my hand in front of 200 people. And I looked up, and there was my hand raised. I was okay. really kind of surprised. And wow. uh, and so I, I tried to tell everyone I'm not going to become a fanatic. I told my mom. I told Miss Gozer. I told all these people, uh, I'm not going to be a fanatic. But... Uh, later that week, I, I was reading a verse in the Bible. With I went, to, I was invited to a youth Bible study group from mm-hmm. this congregation, and I went uh-huh. uh, only because there was this strawberry blonde I wanted to get another <laughs> look at and uh, meet her. And she, uh, th- it was on study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman that need not be ashamed, mm-hmm. accurately handling the word of truth, Second mm-hmm. Timothy two fifteen. And I thought I've got to learn to study this book and interpret it as mm. my dad, who was a great furniture maker, uh, unashamed of it. Uh, and so that's, I guess, I became a fanatic. And so that's, that's the story. But you see, the, the central part of it, what convinced me to believe, was, was the Messiah of the Hebrew Bible. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Do you think Isaiah, was Isaiah 53 probably the most critical part of that puzzle? Yeah. Or? Well, it, it was critical only in the sense that it, it explained the idea of redemption, because uh, I had been asked about Leviticus 17, okay. where it says uh, the shedding of, uh, it says, I've, uh, the life of the flesh, uh, I've just been teaching for a few life hours. Life of the so flesh is in the like, blood. Is in the blood, yeah. and I've given it to you upon the altar to mm-hmm. make atonement for your souls. And so the, I was asked, where is the reneging of God's requirement for a blood sacrifice. And I said, well, the temple doesn't exist anymore. That's why we don't do it. Yes, but where did he change the rule? And then I was shown Isaiah 53 that God provided, it says in there, an asham, Mm. uh, a uh, guilt offering that God provided the sacrifice himself through Mm. the Messiah Jesus. And uh, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow. So that God didn't leave us without a sacrificial system. He fulfilled it. Yeah. And I also saw a video um, about Isaiah 53. I don't know if this is true or not, um, and correct me, please correct me if I'm wrong, but is it true that um, Isaiah 53 was somehow taken out from the old, or from the uh, from the Hebrew Scriptures that the... Uh, no, 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 that's not true. It's in the, it's in the Hebrew Bible. It is, okay. Uh, uh, here's here's the what has happened. Uh, of course, Jewish people, we read through the Bible, the Torah, the the Torah, the the the, the Pentateuch, or okay. the first the first five books, the Law of Moses. Uh, over a year, three times a week, you read and, and you get through it. Hmm. And that's called the Torah reading. And then after that, there's a half Torah reading. Half Torah means not half of the Torah, but it means the completion of it. Something that kind of shows that links to it from the prophets. Okay. And so there are selected passages from the prophets that are linked to the, the Torah passage for that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12 was not one of those 
prophets passages selected to link with the Torah. So okay. it's in the Bible, it's just not part of the the weekly reading cycle. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, that's good to clarify that, because I've seen that video circulating for a while now, and I'm always very curious to ask a scholar, is yeah. is that true what it says? Um, so yeah, no, that that's good to clarify that. But before we move on to, to the next question, I wanted to just talk about um, because I I wouldn't understand being a I'm not a Jew I'm actually Hispanic so <laughs> I wouldn't understand you're, you're, how, you're actually what I didn't hear I, I'm, I'm I'm Hispanic so oh, okay yeah and so I would have really well no, you could be Jewish there's so many Jews that left Spain in yeah. 1492 is, you never know that is true <laughs> that's true anyway the the yeah the point that I wanted to uh, or the question I wanted to ask was um, uh, or to get you to clarify, is how do Jews today um, look at the figure of Jesus? Why is it so just, I guess, appalling? There, there's been what I would call a Jewish reclamation of Jesus. Uh, in the different branches of Judaism, uh, the Reformed Jews see Jesus as a great teacher, uh, maybe even a prophet. And then uh, conservative and Orthodox Jews may not believe in him, but they think he's a, a great Israelite. Okay. Uh, even uh, there's now most Orthodox Jews probably wouldn't say that, but there's a uh, one Orthodox Jew who uh, his name is Pinchas Lapid. He wrote a book called The Resurrection of Jesus, in which he actually looks at the evidence for the resurrection, like the changed lives of the apostles and the proclamation of this message that they would rather die mm -hmm. than deny the resurrection. And he says he has to be convinced that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Mm. But he says, but he wasn't the Messiah. He was just a godly Jewish man, mm. and God raised him from the dead, wow. uh, which I think is interesting. So it's it doesn't in the Jewish community there isn't the same hostility to the person of Jesus as, as perhaps there was in in ancient times. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing, not to be political, but uh, not too long ago there was a political figure, uh, sort of an anti-Israel political figure, that said something about Jesus really being a Palestinian. Mm -hmm. okay. and that, he was because he was born in Bethlehem, which is in the Palestinian section mm -hmm. uh, on the West Bank. And of course, the Bible says he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In Romans 9.5, it says <laughs> that he was of Jewish descent, a, yeah. a Jewish according to the flesh. And so uh, there was a lot of uproar that this person claimed uh, Jesus this way as a Palestinian. But I th what I found most interesting is who is objecting to Jesus being called a Palestinian? Hmm. It was the Jewish community. Sure. The various Jewish organizations issued press release saying, no, no, Jesus is Jewish. Even the son of the Prime Minister of Israel issued a, t a tweet on his Twitter account saying, how can you say that Jesus is a Palestinian? Jesus is Jewish. I think, uh, I think well, uh, how interesting that they're finally getting it. Yes, he really is Jewish. If only right. we can convince our people that he's the Jewish Messiah, yeah, right. maybe. But there is a, a, a shifting uh, perspective about Jesus in the Jewish community. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So Dr. Rydelnik, uh, Orthodox Jews like ben, Fish ben Shapiro have said that the Jewish and Christian view of the Messiah are completely different. In addition, Shapiro has claimed that the idea of God taking on the form of man is anathema. So with that said, is the Christian view of the Messiah new and specifically uh, was there ever a time when Jews awaited a God-man Messiah? 
Well, I think in biblical period, that's what they were looking for. Okay. Uh, in Daniel 7, you know, there's that image there of the ancient of days, what we would consider, you know, the, the image of God. Sure. But there are thrones set up, and then there's another figure who's to take the throne next to the ancient of days. And he is a, a deity, he's a divine figure, hmm. but he's called one like a son of man. Sure. Hmm. Indicating that he looks like a human, but he's part of this deity. And uh, I think it's interesting because the person who points this out is a rabbi. Wow. <laughs> uh, Daniel, Do- Daniel Boyarin, who teaches at... Uh, you see, you see, you see, Berkeley. Okay. He teaches Jewish studies there, and he says that really in biblical period there was some, a segments of the Jewish community that really believed in a, a deity, a Messiah deity. That when the Messiah came, it would be a God man. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, because of going into captivity for idolatry, that idea, though not completely destroyed, it was kind of squashed like, oh, maybe that will get us in trouble if we believe this. Mm-hmm. But it is Boyarin, which I find interesting, uh, that who keeps saying there was a segment within the Jewish world that did believe in a, a divine Messiah. Wow. Uh, and uh, so now the difference is between Ben Shapiro, who is a brilliant guy and whom I respect a great deal, yeah. uh, but he, his area of expertise is politics and law. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Daniel Boyarin is a Jewish studies and biblical scholar. So who would I trust on understanding the Jewish understanding of this? I would trust uh, Daniel Boyarin. Right. The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy affirms with uh, By the book. way, that, that's the second time we've said that. I heard a guy say, if people want to find a book, that in an interview we have to mention the, the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy at least seven times. So that was three <laughs> times I've mentioned the Moody Handbook of Messianic <laughs> Prophecy. So now four. We'll keep going. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep going. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, it, in the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, um, there we go. Number it, five. yeah, number five, it, it affirms uh, with other biblical scholars that there is a clear Messianic message in the Hebrew Bible. So where should we start in our uh, study of the Old Testament Messianic Prophecy? Uh, and, and also, too, why, why is it significant to, to start there? Uh, well, I think that why do we start looking for it in the Old Testament? When you look at the book of Acts, there are two key points that the apostles make in all their preaching, if we look, what's called the apostolic preaching in, mm-hmm. in the book of Acts, what are the two points they're making? One, Jesus fulfilled the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. That's how we know who he is. He is the Messiah. And two, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus, uh, so that, that says that his death was truly redemptive, and he was raised by God, and he is who he claimed to be. He is God. And so, uh, what I find interesting so often is that when I ask people to defend, can you really make a case that Jesus is raised from the dead? They will be able to do that. Most Christians can. Mm. But then if I, and I say, well, do you believe that the Hebrew prophets foretold or the Old Testament predicted the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled those prophecies? They say, yes, absolutely. And then I say, well, where? How? Uh, yeah. And they, yeah, that's, I'm not sure, but I know it's so. Uh, and I think it's just as we should be able to defend the resurrection, 
uh, we should be able to defend the Messianic hope as the apostles proclaimed it. And that's why I think this book <clears throat> is so important. That's why it's so great to go back to the Old Testament and see it. Now, you start in Genesis, and you can work your way to the end of the Old Testament, and you will find uh, individual Messianic predictions, but also there's more to it than that. Mm. Uh, Jesus talked about in Luke 24 that everything written about me, meaning the Messiah, uh, in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so he sees—that's his sort of designation for the Old Testament— Mm-hmm. Law, prophets, psalms as the head of the writings. Uh, so he's using that tripartite. I think he is saying that it's not just individual prophecies, but it's down to the DNA level. The, 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 the messages of the books actually point to the Messiah. Okay. And so that's why we have to be able to. And I think if we read it, we'll see it. Right, right. So I, I, I wanted to define a little bit of the, just the term Messiah. What, what exactly uh, does it mean? Is there some biblical descriptions that you could give us? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you noticed that the first chapter of the book does that kind of definition. Right. And uh, I thought how, like, how appropriate that, uh, you know, I, I said we need to have a, a defining chapter when we were putting yeah. this book together. And of course, if, if there's going to be a defining chapter, do you know who gets to write it? The guy that put the book together. So, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so I wrote that. So I, what I did is I, I kind of, in that chapter, I did a kind of a word study uh, that the word means, uh, the word Mashiach actually means anointed one. And it comes from the root of the ideas to rub or to smear. And it's used of rubbing oil on shields or smearing paint on a wall in the Bible. But it's also been used of pouring oil on someone like when a, a priest was anointed uh, to be the priest, mm-hmm. uh, when Aaron was anointed. Uh, and so it comes to mean someone who has been anointed by God to have a special task, and someone with a special task for them. And then there'd be the kings would be anointed. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes sense. Sure. And then what develops in the Bible is a specialized technical term. It means the anointed one. You may have been used of a priest before, but now it comes to mean it's used in a very unique way of a special deliverer that will come one day uh, from the line of David, uh, who will be a servant king, who will uh, be the great deliverer of his people and provide atonement. He would be a perfect ruler. And this term Messiah is used, some people say, uh, nine times uh, in this sense, uh, and uh, others uh, uh, say a few more times, but it depends on how various passages are interpreted. Uh, but uh, we could say nah, somewhere between nine and, and uh, 12 times, 13 times, it's used in this technical sense. Well, there's far more prophecy about the Messiah than this technical sense of a special deliverer that will come and redeem Israel from sin and the world from sin. But uh, it is also, uh, there are other terms used for him. But so when we wrote the, when we put this book together, we didn't limit ourselves just to those usages that use it in the tactical sense. We used it of, of this deliverer as he is described with other titles as well. Right, right. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the the Messiah being from um, the line of David, and also about him just being 
a servant of the Lord. I think those are two very um, mm-hmm. uh, interesting aspects, especially as I was uh, reading reading the opening chapter. It was really good stuff there. Well, the line of David, it's so crucial because David has promised a descendant in, in a covenant. You know, David wants to build a house for God. He wants to build a temple. And uh, Nathan says, oh, yeah, go ahead, do it, Nathan the prophet. And then God says, no, Nathan, you've got to ask me first. So mm. he does, and uh, he comes back, and he tells David uh, that you're not going to build a house for the Lord, but God's going to build you a house. Mm. And he gives him a covenant, and he promises him in this covenant that he would have a special offspring, a special heir, a descendant, who would have an eternal house, that means a dynasty, mm-hmm. eternal throne, mm-hmm. that means eternal rulership, uh, and an eternal kingdom, an eternal nation. And uh, so that's what he promises him in Second Samuel 7 and First Chronicles 17. And it's always, all those books are always looking, okay, well, who's this line, this king from David? And every king from the line of David is portrayed in, the, in these historical books as having failed. Huh. Uh, no one, no one, actually is able to fulfill the promise, and so the end of Second Kings, for example, Israel's in that ki- captivity, and it's basically saying, "Keep looking for that king from the line of David." Sure. Same thing at the end of Second Chronicles: hmm. "Keep looking for that king from the line of David." And uh, when Jesus comes, of course, he is from the line of David, and it, that is a big deal. Uh, you know, you look at the church councils. There's a lot to be said about the Lord Jesus being human. You know, the, they they do want to be clear about the humanity of Jesus. Right. But uh, Paul thinks it's much more important to understand something else about the humanity of Jesus. In Second Timothy two eight, he says. Uh, see if I can quote this verse right. Uh, he says, remember Jesus Christ, or remember Jesus the Messiah, risen from the dead and descendant of David, or son of David. Mm. Uh, and so when, and then he says, according to my gospel. So when, when Paul says, what is most crucial about what I am proclaiming? I am proclaiming that the son of David has come, mm. and that mm. Jesus is him, and that he, he was risen from the dead, so obviously implying that he died and rose again. Yeah. Uh, and so there it goes. It, it links it to that messianic prediction of the son of David. Yeah. Sure. And, and you talked about um, you know the, uh, a royal heir from the line of David um, having established an eternal house, kingdom, and throne. Um, can an argument be made there that that presupposes divinity? Well, he's obviously going to be an eternal king. Sure, yeah. Whoever he is, he will have... Uh, so that it hints at that. What, what I think is interesting is that other passages pick it up okay. uh, when it talks about the, the throne of David, and it does indicate uh, that there will be a divine king. Uh, one, there are num- numerous examples I could give you, but probably the clearest is in Isaiah chapter 9, that everyone knows this passage yeah. from... Uh, Handel's Messiah. You know, every Christmas we we hear it sung, it seems like, mm-hmm. at least someplace. Uh, but in Isaiah 9, it says, Unto us, for unto us a, a son will be born, unto us a son will be given, and uh, the government will be upon his shoulder, meaning that he will have authority. Mm-hmm. 
but he's a human being. He's going to be born. Yeah. Uh, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Hmm. And so this is calling for the God-man being born, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be born. He's going to be the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace. And then the very next verse says about his future reign on earth that the dominion, his dominion will be vast, its prosperity will never end, he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. And so it's saying that this God-man who will be born, right? Yeah. He's also the, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Right. He's the one that's the eternal son of David. Yeah. Awesome. So it does link that with deity. Sure. Yeah, very interesting. Um, going back to what you were saying with regards to Jesus, uh, the, the Christ or the Messiah being the anointed one, and uh, you were talking about kings being anointed, etc. And in in Matthew's gospel, the third chapter, right after Jesus is baptized by John, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Would that be, could that be considered an anointing? And would that be something that the Jews would have recognized at that time? Well, I'm not sure how much they saw of that, you know. Sure. Uh, But I do think it's significant, uh, particularly when you look at Luke 4, uh, because Jesus goes into the synagogue early in his ministry. Sure. It seems to me immediately after the baptism, Mm -hmm. right? make sure I get this sequence right, but uh, in Luke 4, uh, what you have, in, you have Luke 3, you've got the baptism of Jesus, right? Right. And then uh, having been baptized, he is, he goes to the wilderness, right? Right. Yep. Uh, and he's tempted. And then he goes back to Nazareth, mm-hmm. and he enters the synagogue, and he cites one of the servants, uh, probably a fifth servant song from the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, sure. because he has anointed me, uses the verb form mm, of yeah. what, what is the Messiah, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Uh, and that's from Isaiah 61. Sure. And so he says, uh, I am here now fulfilling the thing, and I am anointed by God. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. Mm-hmm. And that we saw that happen at his baptism. And now he's preaching. He's taking, he says, and today this is being fulfilled in your hearing. Right. Um, yeah. and, and as well, can you talk about the, the servant on uh, the servant of the Lord kind of going off of that note? Yeah, I think that what, what it's so clear in the servant passages, uh, of which there are clearly four, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then 52.13 through 53.12, the, the fourth one. Yeah. And then there's this one in Isaiah 61, where uh, the servant seems to be anointed by the Spirit of God. Uh, it is the Spirit of God that empowers his ministry. We see that in Isaiah 35 as well. Uh, that's when he's op- it, it predicts that when Messiah comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and uh, open the, uh, restore hearing to the deaf and uh, make the lame walk. Uh, and so uh, there's, there's this anticipation that the Spirit-empowered ministry of the Anointed One will 
do marvelous miracles and proclaim uh, a life-saving, life-giving message. That's, that's, I think, how it comes together. All right. And then there's also other titles for the Messiah. Oh, yeah. Uh, some, and I, I really wanted you to, to talk about this, but just some are the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, the Son of David, uh, all which, if you read the New Testament, you're going to come across. Um, can you yeah. kind of unpack those those uh, other titles, and, and how are, exactly are they linked, um, you know, yeah. directly pointing to the Messiah? Well, uh, Son of God is a phrase that's used in Psalm 2, uh, verse 7. This is my... Uh, he said to me, you are my son. Uh, uh, today, in, in Hebrew, there's a lot of different ways to translate it. But it, it's, it, I have, uh, the classical way is, I have begotten you. Yeah. Uh, today I have begotten you. So there's a declaration to this royal figure on the throne who, in verse 2, has been called the Mashiach, the Messiah. He says, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. And now a lot of thinking people think, well, that means that the Son had a beginning. That's not what begotten means. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, when, uh, and also in the ancient Near East, when a king took his throne, it was declared to be, and, and on his coronation day, that was the day he was begotten. It refers to him being declared king. So it's not that he was born that day. Obviously, let's say a man is 40 years old and he enters yeah, yeah. into kingship. He's not born. He's declared king. Uh, uh, and and so in Psalm 2, when it says, uh, this day I have begotten you, you're my son, this day I have begotten you, he is being designated as the king. This is his coronation. He is being declared king. He is the son of God. And son of God is very uh, important because, you know, we think it doesn't mean it means something less than God. That's how we, you know, of course, my sons would not think that they are less than me. Right. Sure. But but a reflection of me. I remember when my older boy, who is a fully grown adult now, when he was a baby, there was a guy, a kid in our congregation that uh, walked up to him and looked at him and looked at me and looked at him. And my son was nine months old. And he said, wow, you look just like him, Michael. <laughs> and I thought, no, he looks just like me. Yeah. If we want to know the full manifestation of, of deity, it looks like Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's what it means by Son of God. Uh, sort of like the perfect expression of deity. That's Jesus. Sure. Uh, remember in the New Testament, Barnabas? That's actually a nickname. He was the son of encouragement. Mm -hmm. His real name was Joseph. He epitomized encouragement. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. They yeah. They were, it, yeah. it doesn't mean that they were descended from thunder. It means that they epitomized thunderous behavior. They probably walked around on their camels there in Galilee with lightning bolts on the back, leather tunics, you know, with lightning bolts on the back, <laughs> said sons of thunder. Right. They had their own gang. But uh, the, the point <laughs> of it, <laughs> they epitomized thunderous behavior. Yeah. And when when the Messiah is called the Son of God, it means he fully personifies deity. Well, wow. and 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 going uh, also the the son of man is another one, and I believe I read a commentary by R.C. Sproul, and and uh, I I believe he mentioned that uh, you know Jesus referred to himself as the son of man uh, among any other title. Um, he always referenced to himself as the son of man. Can you unpack that? Uh, sure. That title. I think I think that he is right. Is it is the favorite self designation? Yeah. Uh, by the Lord Jesus of himself. 
what most people think is it means the perfect articulation, the perfect expression, the epitome of humanity. Right. Uh, and that's how they take it. Sure. But as I mentioned earlier about Daniel 7, hmm. where there's one like a son of man, that's where he gets it from. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting is in the in Daniel 7, he is portrayed as the one with the fully equal to the Ancient of Days, but he looks like a human being. It's describing him as the God-man, and then it describes how he'll descend from the clouds and take his kingdom, right? And of course, at his trial, the high priest says, why don't you tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And Jesus responds, you'll see the Son of Man descending. The same phrase from Daniel 7. Yeah. And and what the high priest doesn't say, oh, you're declaring yourself a human being. <laughs> no. He rips his garment. He yeah. says, what more do we need? He's committed blasphemy. He's calling himself God. So Son of Man, it does indicate looking like humanity, but divine humanity. Mm. Son of... Uh, the, the, he is a divine figure. Oh. And and it it is... I mean, it, when you when you see how the high priest understood it, you say, yeah, he understood it just perfectly. Yeah, that so got him upset. It points to his lordship, yeah. his deity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Um, uh, another common title in the New Testament is the Son of David. I know we, we kind of unpack that, but um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, if you could kind of expand a little bit more on that, that being just another another title of the Messiah. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's actually, you know, you can kind of pull it together from Genesis 49, 10, uh, Judah in, in Jacob's oracle there is promised that he will have a descendant. Uh, we kind of think of him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but from Judah would come the the the, the king uh, uh, to whom all the peoples will whom all the peoples will obey, uh, all nations will obey him. So there's a promise from the line of Judah. Then of course you keep tracing the the line of Judah and you get to. Ruth and Boaz, and they have a son, and uh, he becomes uh, known, a grandchild, great-grandchild, known as David. Mm -hmm. And David is promised a special seed, a special offspring, and then that runs through the line of Solomon. And uh, you keep looking, is this the one that will have the eternal house, kingdom, and throne? And then finally, uh, the, the, the historical books of the Old Testament end, and he hasn't come yet. And so there's this anticipation, keep Looking, keep looking, keep keep looking for the son of David, and of course, uh, when Jesus comes, he is from the house of David has become obscure at this point. Sure, it's sort of like some of the European lines of kings. Uh, you might be going to the mall and run into someone. Oh, yeah, I'm from that line. You're like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so the the line of David, just as Isaiah 11 seems to indicate, that the shoot will come, and it doesn't say from the line of David but it's from the line of Jesse, because it will have become obscure, yeah. just like Jesse was, yeah. and uh, Je- David's father. And, uh, and it, uh, he will come out of obscurity as the son of David, and that's what you have. You have both Joseph and Mary. Mary descended from the line of Nathan, the son of David, and, and uh, Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, uh, from the line of Solomon. And and he gives all his adoptive rights to his son, and as a result of that, Jesus comes and he is physically from the line of David, because of being the descendant of Mary, 
from the okay. line of Nathan, but he is uh, has a political right for rulership from his adoptive father, and he is the son of David who reigns. And of course, the the blind man shouts, "Son of David, have mercy on us!" So even people in his earthly ministry they understood that he wasn't just from an obscure line now, but he was the one that was promised. Mm. Yeah. Um, in John. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, there's a dispute between the Pharisees, uh, the the uh, Jewish leadership, and Jesus about his his deity. And he references to Moses, and, and he's pointing them and saying, "Hey, if you if you believe, uh, or if you really believe in in Moses' writings, that you would you would believe in me." Um, what what is the impact of of what really Jesus is saying, um, especially with uh, Moses speaking of a prophet that would come yeah. that was going to be like him. Yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting passages. It is. Because there are many people who say today that, yeah, the Old Testament writers, they didn't know they were predicting the Messiah. They mm. were writing about David or someone in their own day. or You know, they didn't know they were writing about the Messiah. But secretly, the Holy Spirit, who was inspiring their writings, who inspired their writings, he meant the he meant the Messiah. So it's like you got two meanings. You got the meaning that the prophet intended yeah. and the meaning that the Holy Spirit meant, as if they could be contradicting each other. Right. Uh, and Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, uh, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me because mm-hmm. he wrote of me. Don't think that I'm going to judge you in the end of the days. Yeah. It'll be Moses who's going to stand up and condemn you. Well, can you imagine if Moses didn't know that he was writing about the Messiah, and he stands up to condemn them, and he says, you should have believed in Jesus because he was the Messiah, and I wrote of him. Well, did you know? Well, no, I thought I was writing about something in my own day, but you should know. I can imagine what they would say. Moses, if you didn't know, how would we know? Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the great—it's not just that the Old Testament predicts the Messiah— that the authors intended us to understand yeah. that they were writing about the Messiah. That's what's so crucial about that passage. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Um, that really jumped at me in reading chapter 1. Um, I was always made to really understand that Moses really didn't have any idea of really what he was writing when he said there. He maybe had a ballpark uh, estimation, but what, what you're arguing here is that he knew um, yes. exactly what he was talking about in, in this prophet that was to come, uh, that was yeah. divine, the person work of Christ, which is... Yeah, and it's so crucial because yeah. the Holy Spirit inspired the writings of Moses, but they both agreed on what he meant. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the gar- The Holy Spirit's inspiration is the guarantee of the truth of Moses' words. So that's that's why it's so crucial. Right. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I, I, I I was actually in a forum once, and I, a guy said, well, Moses wrote about the Messiah, he just didn't know, and then I cited that passage. And uh, at, this is at a college once at a forum that we were doing about Messianic prophecy, mm-hmm. and uh, this great scholar said that, and I looked at that, and I said, but look at this passage. And he said, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's... yeah. That's awesome. No, I thought I, yeah. I, I thought this. Uh, I mean, just just the opening section of of this uh, of this volume has been tremendous, and I I, I think it's just such a an excellent resource. I, I really do uh, agree with uh, with your thoughts towards uh, at, at the beginning of the program, and that I think uh, Christians today really don't have a full grasp of the Old Testament. And I think you make a really good point in that uh, you know we we don't really. Uh, we could defend the resurrection, but we do have a hard time of of uh, really 
expounding on the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and pointing and saying, "Hey, look, um, you know this. The, it is speaking about Jesus. It is prophesying about Jesus." And I think that would just make everything uh, so much more fuller <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in, in in our argumentation. And would you? Well, even, I hope so. Yeah. And would would you say this is that understanding this, knowing this, and this resource would really help? Um, a Christian uh, evangelized to uh, Jewish, uh, to, to people but, who are But not only to Jews, you know, there are so many secular Gentiles who don't believe in a That's an true as well. yeah. Bible. And so, so much of what we say says, you know, we have to believe what the Bible says. Uh, well, how can we believe the Bible? Well, look at these predictions. The supernatural nature of oh, the Bible yeah. is revealed through Messianic prophecy. Right. And so it's a helpful tool for all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's particularly helpful for Jewish people, as it was Messianic prophecy was for me. But it's helpful for reaching everyone, and also it encourages our own faith. Mm-hmm. We're not just kind of randomly. Jesus, uh, Jesus is not the Messiah because he makes me feel good sometimes. He's the <laughs> Messiah because he's the predicted one. Yeah, amen. You know, he's the promised one. Amen, amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and land the plane uh, for the program, and uh, but before right. we, we end, we always allow our guests to share the gospel. We know it's the presentation of the gospel uh, is the means by which God uses uh, a lost person and draws them into saving faith. So if you would do that, Dr. Uh, Reitelneck, sure. that would be Well, be in, in prophecy, here's what it says. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. This is in Isaiah 53. All we have turned to our own way. Uh, and the the idea there is we all do whatever we want, and we go our own way, and we sin. And sin is just disagreeing with God and doing what we want instead of what he tells us to. Uh, you know, I think everyone would say, yeah, I make mistakes, sometimes deliberately. Uh, and uh, so we all sin. That's what Isaiah says. But then he says, but the Lord laid on him or took the punishment that we deserved. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. When it describes the servant there who suffers a humiliating death, uh, it is to take on the punishment for our sins. It, in that passage, says that the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. Yeah. And so the Lord Jesus died, and then it even promises in that passage that he will one day see followers, uh, and also he will see the light of life uh, and so after his substitutionary death, that he dies in our place, it also promises that he'll see life. And and it is one of the greatest, clearest passages of of uh, the, the, the promised uh, that we sin, the, the certainty that we sin, but that God took the punishment that we deserve and laid it on Jesus in his death, and then he was raised from the dead. And then I'll just link that with uh, another psalm in Psalm 2 where it speaks about the Son of God, and at the end it says, Do homage or kiss the Son, lest you perish in the way. How happy are all those who take refuge in Him. When we take refuge in Him is when we trust His death for us as a payment for our sin and His resurrection to give us new life. When we do that, we're acknowledging who He is, and God will forgive our sins. And so I think that's the clearest. You don't need a New Testament proclaim the gospel. It's right there in the Old Testament. It's in promise, and then it's depicted in fulfillment in the New. All right. Amen, amen. That is the gospel. Well, Dr. Reitelneck, um, 
where can uh, our audience get the book? Uh, and also, where the, the can book, they the find The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy? Yes, that's the seventh time. Just, seventh time. Yeah, yeah. The, they can get the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy by going to their favorite online bookseller, their favorite Christian bookstore, or to go to our publisher, moodypublishers.com, has a selling unit, and they can find it over there. All right. All righty, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Rydelneck, for joining the program. It was uh, it, it was awesome to have you. I definitely want to have you back on so that way we could uh, go through Isaiah 53. That would be, uh, I would that would be a good one. I would love to do that with you. That'd yeah. be great. Thank we'll, you we'll so plan, much. We'll plan it soon. All right, brother. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll let you Thank go. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the 102nd uh, episode of Bridge Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I really want to encourage everybody to get yourself a copy of the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. That's the eighth time we mention it. But I will have a link in the podcast description uh, to the book on Amazon. It will also be linked to our Amazon Smile account. Uh, if you purchase the book through there, we get a small contribution uh, to Bridge Ministries, so you could kill two birds with one stone. You could get yourself an awesome book and also support Bridge Ministries at the same time. So anyway, guys, um, visit our website, www.bridgemenlaredo.org for more information about what we do. You could also check out more podcasts. We have everything there from uh, eschatology, soteriology, and other topics on Christian faith, life, and practice from uh, from honestly, uh, Christianity's or Protestantism's uh, greatest scholars, apologists, pastors, and theologians. We bring them all on the program to discuss those subjects, so please go check out our other episodes. But until then, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this program, and I always end it with one question. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? And we'll see you on the next edition of Bridge Radio. Uh, Thank you very much. Bye-bye.